Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by writer and co-host of the Haunted Mitten podcast, Kay Gray. Kay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. This is such an honor. You have no idea. So, Haunted Mitten. Yeah. It's an intriguing, it's an intriguing name. And I know that I know you came up with it. <laughs> Where does this name come from? Because like, you know, it's if the name does not intrigue you right up front, like it's it's got to like it screams haunted eBay item right up front. So (laughs) and who doesn't love a haunted piece of clothing? Come on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Michigan is called the, the, the haunted state. No, I wish Michigan is called the mitten state. Um. Wisconsin tried to steal the title from us a couple years ago, but they just look at us where you hold up your hand and you point to where you're from. That's it's the shape of a mitten. Um, so it just seemed natural to attach haunted to it. And that pretty much describes everything our podcast is just in the title alone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, you, you talked recently uh, about, you know, format change and that you're changing things up a little bit. So what do you have going on over there these days at the Haunted Mint? Oh, gosh. Uh, We are, we've just finished our third season. We finally got to do a little UFO stuff. We did a little urban legend stuff. It's not just like our first two seasons were pretty solidly just hauntings, but I'm kind of getting my co-host to, uh, to uh, open up a little bit more and we're getting a little more of the weird. It's important. You gotta you gotta diversify your weirdness. You've gotta take it in from all angles and you really gotta appreciate it for what it is. You've gotta you gotta represent your state fully in all oh, yeah. of the strangeness that it offers, you know? Oh yeah. And and believe me, Michigan is weird. Yeah. It it definitely has weird vibes. I mean, John Tenney lives there, so you know it's automatically weird right from the get-go there. (laughs) And we're so isolated on our own little peninsula um, that we have have no choice to become a little bit strange just because we don't have... We don't have neighboring states except for the very bottom. So if you don't live... If you live anywhere past like the very bottom of the state, you're we're on our own. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird to look at a U.S. map and you see Michigan and it's like, what's that doing up there? <laughs> uh, uh, it's like being strange. Yeah. Just like hanging out <laughs> next to some lakes, some big ass lakes. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's very weird. So uh, yeah, today I've got you on to talk about this is the first part of the year of the humanoids, which is in UFO, the UFO world. It's kind of a big deal because it's essentially the biggest concentration of humanoid sightings in the smallest period of time. And like for the U.S., things just got really 
freaking weird. It, it got really nuts. So um, to start with this series, because it's going to be a th- about a three-part series, we're starting with uh, two cases that are they're they're important for in their own right because of uh you know one kind of like kind of like kicks everything off in a way it's it's its own kind of concentrated flap and the second case is very different it doesn't involve any humanoids but it involves a ufo taking control of a helicopter briefly for a second and making it like move up an elevation which is which is strange so wild um yeah it's it's like why what was the point ufo (laughs) why are you gonna do that to a helicopter like you're a ufo you kind of gotta know that we're working with like antiquated stuff here and you're gonna like fuck with four guys in a helicopter i mean seriously maybe that's why maybe it's like when we find really old toys from the 30s and we're so fascinated with how this could keep somebody entertained because now we're stuck in like the world of technology that they're like, look at this little, look at this toy. Look at how cute mm-hmm. it is. Let's play with it. Let's see what it does. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the vibe you get. Like our skies are their antique stores. Um, that's exactly. uh, yeah. So they definitely like to, they like to mess around with with what we're working with, which, uh, you know, definitely is not on the level that they are. But for the first case, the Piedmont lights, um, what's interesting about a lot of flaps in general is that the most of them don't generally fall within kind of the confines of when you think of your average like peak ufo sighting season which is generally like the end of may to about the end of august so you kind of got this bell curve people are outside more the weather's nicer they're gonna see things that maybe you know they're not used to seeing in the sky or maybe they've been shut-ins for so long during the winter that they forgot completely what happens in the sky during you know normal (laughs) average days i don't know but. That would be, yep, that would be Michigan in summer. All of a sudden, we remember that the outside exists. Yeah, exactly. It, like, <laughs> it is the worst case of amnesia because you step outside and it's like this pure, like, it, it's a, a static view of whiteness, uh, just like blanketing everything. And it's just like, <laughs> If the sun is out, you can't spend too much time outside. Otherwise, you'll blind yourself. Or if the weather is like really bad and it's really cloudy, you're too depressed and you don't even want to go outside to begin with. So it's it's a bad place to be. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, the the Piedmont lights uh, definitely falls into that flap area. It occurs during the winter, which is... Again, not really when you think of peak UFO viewing uh, periods during the year, but uh, everything begins on the evening of February 21st, 1973. Piedmont basketball coach Reggie Bone, which... <laughs> That's a fake name, right? <laughs> yes, it can't be real. Reggie Bone. <laughs> like Reggie I, Bone! How do you... How do you expect me to take you seriously, Reggie? <laughs> Your name is Reggie Bone. Like Reggie, I Reggie feels like he should have like 
Um, he should have like a Billy Mays infomercial style of program <laughs> where he's selling you an OxyClean or whatever kind of product that he can. That's what Reggie Bone does. A Reggie Bone just slaps Flex Seal onto a thing. Exactly. He is the new. He is the OG Phil Swift, just smacking. Yes. Uh, you know, like a. Uh, a tank of water uh to get it to stop leaking uh weirdly but as long as he's not the my pillow guy i think we're okay yes yes absolutely so yeah reggie bone he was driving three of his players uh, along with two team managers home along us highway 60 near els uh, elsinore uh missouri about 20 miles south of piedmont and they had just lost a crucial tournament game, which, you know, I don't know if seeing a UFO in those circumstances is a consolation prize, but I'd like to think it is, I guess. I don't know. Sure, why not? It'll take your mind off the game, at least. Yeah, it it, it absolutely will. So, yeah, they had lost this game by seven points, and they were discussing it when... Reggie Bone no- suddenly notices a, quote, <laughs> bright shaft of light beaming down out of the sky. All right. So okay. your name's Reggie Bone. You see a beam of uh, a, a shaft uh, of light out of the sky. And it's just, OK, like this is what we're working with here. We see what's going on. We see We see you. We see you, Reggie Bone. We see the. Yeah, we see we see what you're dealing with here. So uh, a few miles later, they passed through Brushy Creek and uh, player Randall Holmes saw something else. Quote, look, he shouted, there's that thing we saw back on Highway 60. Bone pulled over to the side of the road and the six got and the six just like uh, got out of the vehicle. Quote, it looked like it was about 200 yards off the road, hovering over an open field. Bone later said investigators from the International UFO Bureau, IUFOB, of Oklahoma City later estimated the object probably was about 400 feet above the ground. Quote, it was impossible to determine the size or shape because of the darkness. Anyway, we saw four lights that looked like portholes, red, green, amber and white. We figured they were about three or four feet apart, all in a row. We just stood there uh, and watched it for about 10 minutes, Carrie Barks, another witness, added. Then, all of a sudden, the lights went directly up in the air with absolutely no noise and just disappeared over a hill. Um, they got ghosted by a UFO, and, they you did. know, I was it their presence? Did they make it uncomfortable? I don't know. Um, that's uh, <laughs> It's always a thought, because it seems like all right, I, I just need to say it. it seems like we always think of UFOs as putting on this like performance for everybody else. They show up, they they do cool things, and and then they take off. But what if it's ju- they're just nervous around people? Like it feels like know. it with how fast UFOs can take off. They're like, oh no, I, we're being watched. Like we have to leave. Yeah, exactly. So you know. UFO ghosts, <laughs> Reggie Bone, Reggie Bone, <laughs> UFOs, ghost, and Reggie Bone. Uh, that is uh, fan artwork if I've never uh, heard it before. <laughs> but <laughs> half, half an hour later, Miss Edith Boatwright of nearby Mill Springs saw the same or a similar object 
flying low near her farmhouse. Quote, it was about 10 p.m., she told Fate magazine. I was lying on my bed. I wasn't asleep when I saw a flashing light. We live close by the highway, so I thought some something had happened on the road. I got out of bed quickly and looked over the lower part of the curtain, and I could see very plainly a craft uh, just clearing the utility wires. It was in a horizontal position. I think there were people in it. I could see objects inside, but could not make out any form of a person. It made a very quiet noise, like a whoosh, slowly and evenly. When it changed into a vertical position, it made a louder noise, like a quiet motor pulling. So, like, this is interesting because, like, you don't often see UFOs, like, taking a vertical position. They're always laying, you know, horizontally. They're, you know, like these plates in the sky. And then all of a sudden, this thing just, like, turns vertically and disappears. It's it's very odd uh, in the way right. that it does that. Do we know what shape it was do we know what it actually looked like or just no she wasn't really able to make out any shape uh okay. just due to her vantage point um and how high it was in the sky but fair enough um yeah she continues quote it didn't have any chopper blades on top like a helicopter just some rotary like blades in front where an umbrella like part a- extended up it was okay. about 30 or more feet long. Very beautiful, light-colored body with a darker tail. There were no lights on in our house at the time. I watched it for about one or two minutes. It was about 200 to 200 uh, or 250 yards from my window, flying below the oak treetops. So it comes into view. She gets a better look at this thing. Uh, she describes rotors on this thing, like smaller ones, and just... Uh, I don't know. This it's an interesting looking UFO. I love it's that got, she described it as beautiful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She is smitten with this UFO right now, and I, I totally understand. I would be too. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely beautiful. So, at first, Miss Boatwright thought the object was quote some kind of new nuclear powered helicopter. I've never heard of such thing, but you know. 73, I guess anything's on the table at this point. Oh, yeah. But changed, yeah, but changed her mind in the next few days when she heard about the flood of UFO sightings. It is worth noting, however, that the whooshing sound that Miss Boatwright reported was not heard by other southeastern Missouri UFO witnesses. Uh, conceivably, helicopter blades could have made that kind of sound. And uh, IUFOB's Daniel Garcia, who interviewed the witness, believes it is at least you know possible that the object was a military aircraft dispatched to the area to look for Bones UFO. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but, uh, Let's just make this a yeah. euphemism the entire way through. We're going to yeah, double on totally. to this shit all the way through this this episode. Yeah, Bones <laughs> UFO. That's going to be the new title for this episode is Bones <laughs> UFO. Uh, arguing against this idea is the fact that the craft, uh, as described by Miss Boatwright, did not look anything like a helicopter. Whatever the case, in the next two months, the Boatwright's farm was to play host to other UFOs, including one that apparently landed on a hill behind the house. Quote, we didn't try to go near it as we had company coming at the time. What? 
Okay, <laughs> so this completely unknown thing to you lands literally on your property and like, oh no, we can't. Oh my gosh. Uh, the the Joneses are coming over in, in less than five minutes. We can't go out there right now. No. What? No. <laughs> you, you need to play good host to the friends that you have coming over. But I mean, like, when were they coming over? Could they go out with you to see the UFO? I don't well, know. But like, yeah, the people come over or you leave a note on the door that says, hey, guys, there's some shit going on in the backyard. Why don't you come join us? A, make sure we're okay and, you know, not dead. Um, and mm-hmm. two, like, come on, let's go look at this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, nope, come can't on. Do it. You, Company. If you've got guests over, you leave the note on the door. You know, now you can text them if you got their number. Get out into that field and go find that UFO. Like, that's my. Go find it. That, yeah. I implore you all to do this. Don't come up with the bullshit excuse that you had company coming over. <laughs> it's fine to be scared, Mrs. Boatwright. We get it. But like, yeah, you on. don't need to play coy with me, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> you owe it to uh, podcasters everywhere to go. Yeah. Ditch your company and go find out what that is and take a camera. Yeah, it's important document at all costs we need your data it's That's heavily what makes important it science yeah absolutely you got to get out in the field ma'am that's just yeah. how you do it so <laughs> on february 22nd the night after the original bone boat right sightings nice roy, roy and beth birch and miss kathy keith driving in the brush, uh, brushy creek area spotted an object quote blinking green white amber and red so we've got Similar color structure yeah. here to this object. Uh, Birch tried to chase the UFO along the highway. Quote, Roy started speeding up to get a close look at it, Miss Keith said. He was doing about 70 miles an hour, but we still lost it. I mean, if you're only pushing 70, uh, do, do you really want to catch up to it? I just got to <laughs> ask, you know. So we got to the creek area and there were some other Piedmont people standing on the road looking at it. One of them, Bob Smith, again. Another fake name. Yep. Fake name. Just absolutely fake. He had <laughs> binoculars focused on the UFO, but he could not make out any shape. The lights were visible for 10 minutes longer and then they sank over a hill. So one, Four nights- the alliteration. Yeah. It just... Just the consonation in in this in these stories in Missouri, I guess, is like comic book levels of great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. These are down home people and they are very honest about their fake names. And uh, (laughs) I appreciate that. Totally. No one has a real name in this story. Nobody Nobody has a real name. There, There's we, no way that anybody can convince me that these are real names. It's not true. Who are you trying to protect, huh? Yeah, exactly. You think we're going to knock on doors? It's, yeah. This was in 1973. Uh, it's, it's Missouri. It's 49 years later. I think, I think we're satisfied. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So... Yeah. Four nights later on the 26th, Pat Tooney and Will Freeman watched a luminous object moving over the trees near the tip top mountains. 
a, a baller name for some mountains. I, uh, it's, I think it's a relatable name. I'm going to Yelp review every name and thing that I come across in this episode. Uh, I'd give that a solid Yelp review. Uh, the UFO about 500 yards away, quote, was solid with prongs on it. Uh, Miss Tony informed the IUFOB, quote, a red light was on it. From February 21st into late April, sightings occurred almost nightly. The Piedmont police received over 500 reports, and IUFOB director Hayden Hughes told Fate magazine he and his associates, who conducted a detailed investigation, interviewed 200 witnesses. Most of the sightings were fairly routine, as UFO reports go, and not very revealing. So, like, these are... like they might be close encounters of the first kind, but most of them are like nocturnal lights cases. But in a situation like this, the fact that they keep seeing things and these things kind of look similar, you know, it definitely adds credence to the, whatever they're seeing in in, around Piedmont, Missouri. Yeah. And there's just 500, over 500 reports, 200 witnesses. Yeah, it's a lot. That's a lot. Something was going on. Like, I I, I had Google Maps up, but I don't know. Are there any, like, bases around there? <laughs> I, I don't think there were any mentioned, but, like... I don't um, think so. I... I don't know directly in that area, but I don't I don't know the base situation in Missouri, but uh, this isn't incredibly far from Cape Girardeau, which has that reputation as being the quote unquote first place for a UFO crash to have taken place in 1941, which, you know, the Cape Girardeau crash is about as controversial as you can get because it's like third hand information from a third hand, uh, you know, witness. And it's a, it's very strange. And there was a book published last year that really kind of, uh, took that uh, incident to task, but yeah, it's, it's not far. We're in, we're in similar areas. It's an hour and a half away from Piedmont. Uh, Yeah. So it's, it's not too far away. Um, so we're in, you know, the relative same area and, um, later on, um, this isn't during the flap, but, Eddie Webb, when he had his, when he was blinded by a UFO, because that UFO Mm. was certainly an asshole. um, It, yeah, he was close to Cape Girardeau by that time. And uh, like the original Year of the Humanoids report stated that like his case was infamous in a way, like it, it was more well known, but today nobody knows about eddie webb's case it's just it's um pascagoula coin some people might know the piedmont lights but it's just like i think most of that's been like lost to kind of the pascagoula abduction and kind of how much energy that sucked out of the room just because of how much publicity that it received oh yeah i like you know i'm sure i'm sure the 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 folks around the area are still probably they still probably talk about it a little bit but mm-hmm. when you when you don't get the publicity there's just no way that 50 years later 
anybody's yeah. gonna anybody's gonna know. Right. Uh we covered uh the the Wisconsin flap of seventy five and seventy six and I think what's interesting is that it kind of saw a resurgence in the late 80s, early 90s, because some of the residents of, uh, I forget exactly where, uh, it was like Elmwood, Wisconsin, they appeared on Geraldo Rivera back in the late 80s. <laughs> so <laughs> they got a UFO festival out of that for a couple of years. Heck yeah. Good yeah, for them. Gotta, yeah, gotta get that talk show, uh, you know, credibility and everything. Oh, so. you gotta get on the circuit, my friend. Yeah, that's that's how we do that. Uh, <laughs> most residents saw UFOs more than once. Uh, even so, Earl Turnbow's experience was unique for he had three unusually vivid sightings of more than just lights. His first encounter took place around 9 p.m. about the 1st of March. Turnbow had just passed over a hill on Highway 49 when he spotted something, quote, lit up like a circus. Nice. That's that's a baller description. And it was hovering <laughs> over the road in front of him. The lights went out within seconds and presumably the object escaped into the darkness. Again, this this UFO either has performance issues or it is just shy as shit. I that's oh, he's that's just all there is. It's okay. Yep, he's just, just shy. Just a little shy. That's perfectly <laughs> fine. So two weeks later, on March 14th, as Turnbow drove through the same area in a thunderstorm, and these UFOs are getting bold out in thunderstorms, he saw an amber light hovering 30 feet above a field less than 200 yards from him. Quote, I slowed down and watched for five or ten minutes. Like, in a, in a thunderstorm, that is bold, wow. sir. I appreciate the uh, the enthusiasm for it, but uh, oh god, especially out there. There's no way I would be out for yeah. that long. <laughs> no, not Oof. not in a thunderstorm. Uh quote when the light when the lightning flashed, I could see a dome shape with sort of an antenna at the top. This amber light was shining from the antenna. All the other lights were off. I would say the thing was between 15 and 20 feet in diameter. It wasn't making any noise at all. He saw a UFO for the third time a week later. Quote, I was feeding cattle at the farm just about dark. I saw this thing come down over Brushy Creek, he explained. It was about a thousand feet in the air and shaped like a top. I couldn't tell if it was rotating or if the lights were just flashing. Lights were yellow, green, and red. They could have been portholes for all I know. The object sailed over the farm and didn't make a sound. So, th like, it's interesting that the residents of, um, you know, like the Brushy Creek area and the areas, uh, you know, on or outside Piedmont, they keep describing objects with portholes. They have the same kind of color scheme going on to them. The they look a little. The objects themselves look a little bit different, but the the similarities are there, which is you know is, is pretty interesting. Oh, for sure. It's yeah. It's it's kind of making me start wondering. Uh, is this all from the same? I don't know wherever mm -hmm. aliens come from. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this <laughs> is this all the same group? Is this like a fleet, but at different? times i'm i'm 
I'm very, I'm very intrigued about what was happening in this specific part of Missouri to make it so um, active. Right. It, it's the idea of like, why do UFOs pick the areas that they do to kind of like, quote unquote, haunt? Because yeah. it's like the, these are as much ghosts as they are UFOs. They're just like hanging around, just like chilling out over missouri i don't know if they like the views i don't know if they're there to observe the livestock who knows at that point <laughs> as someone who has driven through missouri several times i'm not entirely sure it was the views mm, but fair. you know to, to each their own that's totally fair <laughs> march March 14th, the same night as Turnbow's second sighting, Miss Maud Jeffries, a photography teacher at Piedmont's Clearwater High School, took a series of pictures of, quote, a small reddish ball high in the air. She spotted the object around 11 o'clock and mounting a crown graphic 4x5 camera on a tripod, she took a 10-minute time exposure, which unfortunately shows little more than a dot in the night sky. I mean, like, it's a 10-minute exposure. I, Yeah, I can understand. Uh, quote, as a professional photographer, she said, I cannot explain the object. It is not a lens flare or light reflection. Dr. J. Allen Hynek arrived in Piedmont on March 31st and talked briefly with eight people, leaving 24 hours later. So he didn't really conduct much of an investigation. It's just like, I'm showing up here. This isn't interesting enough to me. I'm leaving. And <laughs> he tends to you know, do that. Yes, he does. Like, uh, you'll see him show up for 24 hours later. Uh, for 24 hours, he'll leave. And like at this point, you know, QFOS, he had just formed it. They don't have a lot of money to do things right now. But like at a certain point uh, during the fall, according to Mark O'Connell's book, The Close Encounters Man, he literally walked into um, Wright Patterson Air Force Base. And I kind of picture him kicking in the door. He goes up to the, you know, the big wigs in, in charge and he says, you need to get your men on this UFO flap. It's really intense right now. And they shot him down. Bam. Hey, sit down. Shut up. I got things to say to you. Heineck just yeah. pulls out a shit ton of files and just slams them on the desk. The government was not interested. So lens flare was discussed. However, photographic experts in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch said that lens flare would be widespread over the entire negative rather than a small speck and pointed out that the lens in Miss Jeffrey's camera is coded to prevent flares. So suck on that, skeptics. Um, we'll take that. <laughs> that same evening, Carl Laxton saw an object uh, shaped, he told the IUFOB, quote, like a barrel with protrusions, like arms sticking out of it. The only way I could see the shape of this thing was when the object seemed to tilt. A bright white light uh, appeared to go behind it. The object was tilting from a vertical to a horizontal position and then back to a vertical position again. Then it moved straight up and disappeared into the night sky. So this object freaks me out the most because it almost seems 
like an anthropomorphic barrel that has arms on it. And I don't like that. I don't like picturing that. I don't like thinking about that. I don't like something like that taking up space in my brain. <laughs> I was kind of thinking it almost like a Miyazaki film, mm-hmm. um, how how Miyazaki does um, mechanical things. Yeah. So I don't know. I got kind of a more uh, a more whimsical idea out of it. But it's curious that it did the vertical to horizontal thing like like uh, Mrs. Boatwrights did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is that is definitely interesting. So it, it definitely lends credence to the fact that they're kind of just seeing. I don't know, maybe something is can kind of shift its form here or maybe it's multiple different things, but they all seem to be acting in kind of the same way over the same period of time. and. You know, seven days later, on March 21st, Miss Jean Coleman and Miss Kathy Leach were crossing the Clearwater Dam at about 9 p.m. when they saw an object rise out of the lake. So we're getting into USO. Yeah, we're getting into USO territory here. Uh, They were first alerted by a, quote, red flash on the lake. Stopping their car, they got out to see blinking lights ascending. Each time a red light flashed, the object got brighter. Quote, we could see it climbing, Miss Coleman said. It looked like the lights were red, white, and yellow. Again, we're getting a similar light pattern here. Uh, there was no sound. We tried to make out the shape, but each time the lights went out, we could see nothing. We watched it for four or five minutes until it circled out of sight. Ken Johnson, owner of the Piedmont Boat Dock, confirmed the women's story. Shortly before they saw the UFO leaving the water, unnamed campers told Johnson they had seen a, quote, bright light moving right under the surface of the lake. They had aimed a flashlight beam at the traveling light, and it went out immediately. So again, we have a UFO that seems to be shy. They They would like to look but not be seen. This is like a paparazzi situation in which the UFO witnesses are, you know, just like coming up. They got their flashlights. They got their, you know, they got their peepers. They're just looking at these things. And it's just like, (laughs) hey, I'm trying to vacation with my family here. Okay, let's just take it easy. (laughs) Hey, no pictures, please. I'm trying to have a nice day here, okay? Seriously, like... I, I don't want to be the spectacle here, but you're pushing me to it and I'm <laughs> just going to leave. Here I am just trying to visit your nice planet, have a little vacation with my family. And you guys got to pull out, pull out the flashlights and the cameras and just stop and just stare at me. First of all, rude. Totally rude. <laughs> just 100 percent rude. Uh, during this time, the top of the dam would be crowded with groups of people and the little used country roads in the Brushy Creek and Mill Springs areas uh, have been heavily trafficked due to people wanting to get a glimpse of a UFO. So it kind of becomes a hot spot. And yeah. why wouldn't you? You saw a USO come right out of the water. Uh, Miss Coleman expressed her fear after her experience in an original newspaper article at the time stating, Quote, and I thought as I saw the lights rise from the lake, what if it really is an alien spaceship? And I felt my chest and throat start to constrict. Again, I think I think you were like, I, I think you're the paparazzi, man. That's that's just what we have going on here. 
I don't know. I kind of relate. If, if you know, I've had that thought once. What if it really is an alien spaceship? And uh, I get it. It's a little, it's a little eye opening and a little terrifying. Just a little bit, you know. That's just, all right. Just, I'm gonna let her go. Bit. Mrs. Coleman gets a pass. So many years later, uh, she would go on the television show Alien Highway, the short-lived, uh, which is a fantastic show. If you folks, if you've never watched Alien Highway, uh, it, it got one season. Um, it's great. It's got uh, Chuck Zukowski, the thirty-seventh uh, parallel guy. Oh, um, it does. Heather Taddy, who was yeah, Heather Taddy, who was on Paranormal State, and. Um, uh chuck's like son who doesn't want to doesn't seem to want to be there most of the time but it's still like (laughs) it's like he's dragging him along it's great (laughs) i loved it (laughs) yeah so she recounted her story again on that on that show uh because they did do an episode on the piedmont lights because uh according i if i remember the episode correctly because it's been so long since i've seen it uh, there was kind of a recurrence of UFO activity in the area. So they went and investigated it. And she also mentioned that she doesn't like to be at Clearwater Lake at night anymore. And who could blame her? I mean, oh, you had a oh. UFO sighting. Uh, so later in March, two divers from the East Side Divers Supply Company of Granite City, Illinois, made three attempts to explore the lake for evidence of the underwater UFO. Unfortunately, unusually heavy spring rainfall, seven inches in March alone, had raised the water level 30 feet above normal. And the lake was extremely murky, so they never found anything uh, on any of their trips down. So, oh, thanks a lot, nature. Yeah, yeah. Uh, way to ruin, like, all of our UFO hopes with your <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> With your like life giving water, how dare you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just it's a it's a total bummer here, you know. But uh, Grand Tower, Illinois, on the Illinois Missouri border, is almost sixty miles northeast of Piedmont. Uh, but the UFO Oscar Wills cited that evening on March 22nd sounds very much like those from Rushy Creek. Uh, Wills, an operating engineer at the Central Illinois Public Service Company's power generating station on the Mississippi, one and a half miles from Grand Tower, first saw the object when fellow employee Willis Hughes called from his home to say something was hovering over the transformer yard. Uh, Quote, I went out by myself to take a look, Willis recounted in an interview with Fate magazine. And there it was, hovering about 1,500 feet in the air and about 200 yards from me. It was a round saucer-shaped object about 25 to 30 feet in diameter. It looked like a high-intensity red light with a lot of lights coming out of what seemed to be portholes. The lights were flashing and causing a spinning effect. I couldn't see any image of its bottom. Which, uh, sir, what are you doing? You're trying to look at this UFO's bottom? Is that oh, what you're yeah. telling me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Totally trying to, totally trying to get that peeper, peeper on it, view. It, it yeah. asked for it? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know if it was... I don't know if it was just flashing bottom all over the place. Maybe it was, oh, maybe man. it wasn't. Well, you know, yeah. again, like we're saying, all of these UFOs are on vacation, right? Like this is just. Yeah. It's vaca- vacation uh, wear. It's fine. Yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. He said, uh, I couldn't see any image of its bottom, which may have been concave. I'm not sure. Sir, are you trying to describe the ass on this UFO? I really need to know. Uh, it just <laughs> kind of seems like you are. And we just, uh, yeah, we need to know for yeah, we need to know. science reasons. Yeah, totally. Uh, this UFO had a juicy ass. It's OK to say just nice. Go with it. Yeah. Nice. I kept walking and got to within 100 yards of it. I looked at it for two or three minutes until it darted behind the power plant, almost like a blur. I went north of the power plant to see where it had gone and found it hovering over a water intake pump on the other side of the station. I stood there for a couple of minutes and watched it like a true voyeur, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Will's vigil was interrupted by a phone call from another employee who wanted to know what was going on. By the time Will's got off the phone and enlisted two other men to go outside with him, the UFO was gone. Will's then called Hughes to inform uh, who informed him the object had flown across the river and disappeared into the Missouri Hills. Within minutes, however, Wills and his crew saw four jet planes making passes over the plant area as if searching. Quote, the most amazing part is the way this object moved rapidly with no effort and perfectly silent. I just can't get over that. I don't know what it was, but I know this much. We don't have anything like this. Wills claimed that a nearby identical object appeared over Grand Tower nearly a month later on the evening of April 16th. So, oh you know, UFOs, it's crossing borders now. It's crossing borders. I know. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just yeah. I love that this UFO. UFO fully sounds like it is just making a little pit stop. And it's yep. just like, guys, stop watching me. Like, I just need a little like I just need a little energy. Yeah. like. It's a refueling. I got to do it yeah. from time to time. Just let's relax. Uh, right. We stop looking at my I, butt. I, yeah, seriously, stop like looking up at my butt. Uh, I just covered uh, this case. Uh, it, it, it was from actually this time period in. Uh, it was in Quebec. Um, this couple had seen this yellow domed object on their property and they were kind of like you know like doubting what it was at first because they thought it was like a tent and they thought there were like boy scouts on their property just mm. you know doing their boy scout thing at one point the like a smaller object detaches from the bigger object and it drifts down toward the the spring and when investigators came out to uh you know look over the area they found like a burnt patch of grass they found some like footprints and stuff like that some like small footprints but their belief was that the ufo was refueling using that spring so you know sometimes ufos are thirsty they need the water sometimes you just have to make a little pit stop in the middle of your vacation it's just it's got to happen sometimes maybe maybe they run on water somehow that would be awesome yeah i mean maybe you know other you know societies on other planets should get on that shit maybe <laughs> things would be a lot easier i don't know like maybe maybe 
So on the night of Will's first encounter, March 22nd, back in Piedmont, newsman Dennis Kenny of local radio station KPWB saw, quote, a big orange light glowing from white to orange. It appeared to just go out and then would come back on. Gary Sutton, who was with him, snapped eight pictures of it with a 35-millimeter Petri camera loaded with black and white infrared film. These photographs showed a ball-shaped object with a bright glowing band across its midsection. The sighting took place at about 7.30 p.m. Three hours earlier, at 4.30, a UFO had made a rare daytime appearance. Joe King of Mill Spring and Ron Miller of Piedmont both students at Southeast Missouri State University in Cape Girardeau were traveling along Highway 34 near Patterson, eight miles east of Piedmont, when they noticed an oval-shaped object above the nearby treetops. The UFO metallic in appearance, flat on the bottom with a dome on top, was moving rapidly and leaving no vapor trail. So... We've got corroborated sightings, which is it, which is always good because it seems to be in abundance that we're getting corroborated sightings, uh, you know, from multiple eyewitnesses, which is something that you want in a flap. You don't want just necessarily <laughs> just like a bunch of one offhand, you know, one reports here and there, and then or like <laughs> one guy seeing like eighteen things. Yeah, one guy seeing 18, 18 things looking at the asses of all them UFOs and uh, just, you know, it's it doesn't bode well. No, I I guess it gets lonely out there on the plains. Yeah, it must. It must. It must. I mean, that's why you're looking at up at all them UFO asses and, you know, just hoping just get just trying to get a just view. Hoping. I get it. Just hoping. Just hoping. Hoping that'll land. I get it. But, sir, that doesn't count as a flap. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So the following evening, Friday, March 23rd, Leonard Adams and his 13-year-old daughter, Alma, of Piedmont, encountered a, quote, high-intensity bright white light at 710. Quote, it blinked on and off, Alma recounted. And every time it blinked it shot up 10 feet when it got to about 300 to 500 feet in the air red and green lights came on and then the object flew horizontally actually the red and green lights were very dull in comparison with the white light which was so intense that our eyes couldn't adjust to it the light was almost blinding the farther away the object got the better you could see the other lights The UFO passed over radio station KPWB, which was not on the air at the time. The next morning, the station was unable to sign on because one of its transformers had blown out. Hayden Hughes of IUFOB believes that the Adams's UFO may have had something to do with the malfunction, but the station's news director, Dennis Hovis, who has conducted his own exhaustive probe into the Brushy Creek flap, disagrees, quote, it could have been from any number of causes. Thanks for being that buzzkill, Dennis. Dennis. I want Reggie Bone back here. <laughs> Among other reports Hovis collected is one from a Patterson farm family who heard a high-pitched drilling sound which began around 10 o'clock in the evening, all during April. 
Sometimes it was so loud it shook their house. Too frightened to go outside, they had not, at the time of this writing, discovered its cause. Hovis refuses to release their names to us, explaining that the family in question gave the story to him in confidence. And uh, quite frankly, I want to know where this location is, what the hell those aliens were doing every night in April uh, to this poor family. What's going on? What's, you drilling, bud? What are you drilling for out there? What are you looking for? What are you looking for so late at night? Yeah, got to know. Don't you know that that towns usually? Well, I guess it's a farm, so they probably don't have like curfews and like noise, noise like yeah, noise rules. That's fair. <laughs> Come on! Unless they're just partying on down, they saw a farm and was like, "Yeah, let's throw a rager." Oh yeah, yeah. I guess. I can see it. I can totally now see I'm, it. Now I'm I'm uh, fully convinced that all UFOs that come to Earth are just coming to the backwater planet to vacation. Yeah, they're going like camping, human spotting, whatever yeah. works. Yeah. Human yeah. tipping. <laughs> Pushing them over. Like they don't even need to get out of their UFO. They could just do it from the UFO. It's pretty great. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, we'll yeah. fall over on our own. We're very good at that. Yo <laughs> balance. We don't have balance. <laughs> What's that? Uh, a UFO sighting that occurred on April 3rd in in the daylight invoked a landing of sorts and provided some physical evidence. Miss Raymond Stucker of Elsnor, uh, traveling down Highway 60 at about noon, quote, saw this thing in the air off to the side of the road, she told IUFOB investigators. It looked like something I never saw before. It was round, with the exception of a dome on top. Three, one on top of the other. Hughes explains that this means the object had three pyramiding domes on top, each one smaller than the one below it. So uh, I dig the stacking kind of like method here. It's like the same stacking that uh, I recall as a child with that one toy when you put uh, those uh, donuts in that one ring and, you know, they've got bigger oh, rings, yeah. smaller rings. Yeah, I'm getting that kind of vibe from this. Totally. Okay, thank you. Because I had my brain was really struggling to come up with what this looked like. Right. Yeah, exactly. So um, it appeared to have a dull band or something going around the center. The bottom had something like a tripod landing gear uh, and the object was hovering just above treetop level off to the right of the road. There is a possibility that it came up from the ground and stopped right above the trees. She said, uh, the UFO was silent and appeared to be made of aluminum. Okay. Not probably not the best substance to make your UFO out of just given no. how, you know, uh, thin it generally is like, yeah, you could probably thicken it up a bit, but like, it's not a strong substance that I can make <laughs> UFO. Not so much. I mean, I suppose if you don't really, I suppose if you don't have to pay attention to all of like our rules of physics, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Or yeah, maybe it's like, maybe it's like aluminum plating. They just thought like, like how we like Chrome. Yeah. Oh, they just look cool. Like we, I think if we, if it was affordable, we would Chrome the hell out of everything. It's so expensive to do it, but uh, we would absolutely Chrome the hell yeah. out of everything. So what if they just really loved aluminum? They were like, yes. Yep. Cheap metal. Totally. Yeah. Yep. 
totally love cheap sheet metal need it all <laughs> over everything so two days later miss stucker led iufob officials to the area where they found trees in a 35 foot circle turned counterclockwise with some of their tips broken off geiger counters failed to pick up any unusual radiation but they found a mysterious ash near the tops of the trees although there was no evidence the trees had burned Ooh. um so like you've got ash but you don't have any evidence of trees burning that's interesting and all the trees were broken like on, like laying down in a circle um it, that's what it sounds like kind of some tree displacement and um some ash ashes like that's hardcore yeah, that is that is pretty hardcore. I agree. So uh, on Friday, April 13th, we've got a Friday the 13th situation Ooh. here. Hovison, a physicist from Southeast Missouri State University, who asked not to be identified, made four sightings in the space of three and a half hours. So oh we've got a lot of activity. Yeah, a lot of activity on Friday the 13th. So... Uh, Hovis and the physicist had set up a telescope with a degree finder on the side in the area near Black River, seven miles southeast of Piedmont. At 7.18 p.m., the men saw what Hovis called, quote, a light, no visible body or object attached to it, white in color with some yellow. It was moving from north to south at a 10-degree angle off the horizon, the unnamed physicist speculated it might be a satellite. Mm. At 728, a similar light appeared, moving in the same direction, five degrees off the horizon. This time, the scientist suggested that the booster had followed the satellite into orbit. <laughs> but by 930, when the third object cruised across the sky, the man's faith in satellites was shaken. <laughs> maybe it's a satellite no uh, maybe it's the booster of a satellite maybe it's uh, uh crap i'm, 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 I'm running out of steam it. here uh, I'm, us, I'm running out of steam <laughs> <laughs> this object was traveling south to north 10 degrees off the horizon for, and for a brief period it flew toward the witnesses before resuming its northbound course a fourth UFO heading from north to south at 10 degrees off the horizon passed by at 1045, leaving behind a deeply perplexed scientist. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, that guy's entire world has just been shaken. It, it has been shaken. He's going to go back to like beakers and Bunsen burners and try to regain some semblance of order in his life after this. Oh, my gosh. Sightings uh, would become sparser, but some reports dated to August of that year. Uh, and for Patreon members, I, I'll be releasing this bonus episode, which features, uh, you know, two stories related to the Piedmont Lights. Uh, I'll, I'll be talking about the Eddie Webb case. And there's this one case involving this one family that has apparently UFO activity going back to like the mid 1800s. So, you know, just uh, UFO sightings like crazy. So that that's going to do it for the Piedmont Lights there. But for the second case of this episode, the coin helicopter case, it's an important one and it stands as kind of one of the best, most reliable kind of 
you know, well-tested UFO cases of all time, uh, just given the crew that were involved, uh, the credibility of them, the fact that there are additional eyewitnesses that saw this thing on the ground. Um, there's just a lot of corroborating evidence, but during the year of the humanoids, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New Hampshire were among the states that were seeing kind of the most UFO activity around the time. And for this case, we're headed specifically to Ohio. On October 18th, 1973, at approximately 10.30 p.m., a UH-1H United States Army Reserve helicopter left Port Columbus heading to Cleveland Hopkins Airport, which was 96 nautical, nautical miles to the north-northeast. Inside was 36-year-old Captain Lawrence J. Coyne commanding uh, in the right front seat, uh, 26-year-old chemical engineer Lieutenant Arrigo Jesse was at the controls in the left front seat. That's 35 a year old. Star- it is. It's uh, it's a really sw- solid name. Uh, we got some solid names on board. This so, um, I love this episode. We got so many good names. Yeah, <laughs> got solid names through and through. Uh, 35 year old Sergeant John Healy, uh, who was a Cleveland policeman and the flight medic sat behind Jesse along with Sergeant Robert Yanichek, who was a 23 year old computer technician and the crew chief. It was a clear and calm night, and the helicopter was cruising at 2,500 feet above sea level at about 90 uh, 90 knots, averaging an elevation of 1,200 feet. About 10 miles south of Mansfield, at around 11 p.m., Healy saw a red light to the west flying south. A few minutes later, Yanichek saw a red light on the southeast horizon and thought it might be a tower beacon or an airport. Um, an aircraft port wing or, or, or something that had turned um, toward the helicopter and it kind of began approaching very rapidly. So Coin took over the controls and attempted to avoid a collision by descending at 500 feet per minute while contacting the National Guard aircraft tower in Mansfield to see if it was, you know, one of theirs. However, after their contact of this is Mansfield Tower, go ahead, Army 15444, all transmissions were lost. Uh, Like, UFOs really need to stop cutting out radios. It's it's (laughs) just, I, I find it interesting because, like, it's not like everything else at this point fails. It's just the radio communication. So the, they've still got control of the helicopter, but you know, it doesn't want them talking on the radio, which is, it's a dick move. They just don't want to be talked about. Yeah. Don't want to be the gossip in school. I get it. But you know what? (laughs) If you're taking control of a helicopter, you kind of need to like calm down. You are the problem now. (laughs) You are the problem. I get it. Yeah, you're you're totally the problem. UFO's the problem. Like uh you know, it I this UFO needs to go see the uh the counselor. It's got to happen now. Ooh, it's in real yeah. trouble now. Yeah. Ooh. Totally in some serious trouble. So, uh Coin then increased their descent to 2000 feet per minute at a speed of 100 knots. Yet they could not outrun the approaching light which was coming at them at a at a perpendicular angle so as to hit them almost broadside. 
As the crew braced for impact, the lights stopped and began to hover above and in front of the helicopter. Coin, Healy, and Yanacek all described a cigar-shaped, slightly domed gray metallic structure with a red light at the bow, at the bow, and an indented white light at the stern. Yanacek described windows along the top of the dome. The helicopter had a plexiglass win- had plexiglass windows in the roof that allowed the crew to view the object from below. This is uh, Coin's description of it. Quote, we assumed it was a high-performance fighter, but when it stopped directly in front of us, then all four of us realized that it was no high-performance aircraft. This craft, uh, from the angle that we saw it, was cigar-shaped. It had no wings, no vertical or horizontal stabilizer. It was approximately 60 feet long, 15 to 20 feet in height. So, sizable object does not look like uh really it, it just kind of looks like kind of like a fuselage without the wings and and, and what's right. interesting and and something that i just thought of is that uh there's this image that i can recall in my head of a very similar object that looked like this that uh italian pilots saw in i believe it was like the 80s they uh drew this black long object that kind of had this white dome on top, but it looks very similar to the way this object is depicted um, in the way that it uh, has been, you know, drawn by the eyewitnesses. Um, Yeah. This is what I saw in the nineties. You saw something like this. Yeah. This is almost exactly what I saw. That's insane. That's very (laughs) creepy. Uh, very 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 creepy i was like reading along uh, you know i was listening along i was just you know um waiting for my chance to pop in with like a really stupid joke or whatever it is i do and then it just said like and then it described the windows <laughs> i just stopped it's like no fucking way this is what no, i saw no. in the 90s all right let's continue <laughs> <laughs> i'm freaked out now it's fine Okay, I mean, we'll we'll freak you out some more. That's fine. Excellent. Uh, Can't wait. While the object hovered over the helicopter, a green beam similar to a spotlight passed over the helicopter's nose and then up through the windshield and upper window panels covering the cockpit in green light. In Coin's own words, quote, it was a bright green light and all of the red light and all of the red night lights that we were utilized for night navigation were dissolved in this green light. The whole cabin turned green. It hit all of us directly in the face. All this happened. The helicopter began to climb unbeknownst to coin who thought they were descending. Yep. You have succeeded in freaking me out. Yeah. Yeah. So, Quote, we were at 1,700 feet, Coin recalled. Then this craft began to move slowly to the west, away from us. At this time, I was worried we were going to hit the ground, and I looked at the altimeter, and our helicopter was at 3,500 feet, climbing 1,000 feet a minute with no changes in the control. We went from 1,700 feet to 3,500 feet in a matter of seconds and never knew it. End quote. Crap. That's concerning. That's very concerning. Especially like you're 
you're in the air you if if anything were to happen especially to a helicopter you are just you're dead in an instant yeah yeah it's um yeah i don't know for for the folks at home helicopters don't do that i don't know if you know that or not (laughs) they don't they don't ascend in like a second uh normally no no like when it comes to vehicles that ascend into the air helicopters are kind of slow on that end they'll get there (laughs) but it's gonna take them a little bit in case you know you hadn't ever encountered a helicopter before just letting you know yeah in case you have never seen like a black helicopter menacingly staring at you as you are like out in a field or walking around um, trying to intimidate you because you want to talk about your UFO sighting, uh, unless you've been in a situation like that, you, uh, you know, helicopters don't do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a problem. But um, <laughs> the green light turned off and the object accelerated off to the west before turning and racing over Lake Erie. The helicopter topped out at 3,800 feet and then the four men felt a bump like turbulence as they suddenly had control of their craft once again. Coin took the helicopter back down to 2,500 feet and they continued on to Cleveland, unsure of what they had experienced. They needed fuel... But rather than drop in at the Mansfield Air Base for a fill-up as originally intended, they headed straight for Cleveland and arrived there with the gas gauge on empty. The pilot stated, quote, he was so frightened that he wanted to leave the area immediately. I don't blame you, sir. <laughs> that will no. Interesting Mm-mm. that it's um over Mansfield where we get into like mm-hmm. my territory with ghosts and stuff as well. Mansfield just seems like a very like a hot spot for pretty much everything between most of Ohio, Kentucky, kind of um, Pennsylvania, those areas. Yeah, it's all very weird. It's a very mm-hmm. fucking weird place to be for sure. And not just uh, because of like the, the residents. Yeah, uh, no, uh, nothing against the residents. I don't know any of you, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, sorry, I'm sure some I'm- of you are. I'm from Michigan. I have to um, I have to rag on Ohio a little bit. Um, it's yeah. part of the residency uh, permit you sign when you move to Michigan. You have to check the yeah. little box that just says I now hate Ohio. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. there. Uh, it's uh, and once you sign that, it is for life. You cannot go back on that. Your Correct. Ohio hate is just permanent, no matter Correct. if you move away or not. It's mm-hmm. yeah, they don't I, tell I, you I'll why. Um, yeah. You don't ever get to know the reasons. You just if you wish, wish to live in Michigan, you have to check the box. Yeah, uh, yeah. in New York, uh, you are upset at every other New England state because they didn't include New New York as a New England state. So every time somebody says New England state, they don't mean New York, even though like we're right there. So huh. I think that they need to open up their borders to us because uh, I think we add a lot of value tourism. Right? I mean, we've got right. it. So. It's true. All right. So you get me. You understand. Other states just don't. They don't matter. It's fine. An official report was signed and submitted by the crew after the incident. Yet to this day, a full explanation has never been offered. The army didn't prevent Coyne and his crew from speaking out about their experience. 
And in fact, Coyne was allowed to recount the UFO incident to the United Nations in 1978 under the sponsorship of Grenada, uh, you know, before the Civil War happened. And they were all about, like, uh, you know, the the UN getting involved in, like, uh, UFO projects and stuff like that. yeah, he he told the Special Political Committee of the UN, quote, as a result of my experience, I'm convinced this object was real and that these types of incidents should require a thorough investigation. Coyne also told his tale to a Cleveland reporter almost immediately and subsequently relayed it to a national television audience on the Dick Cavett show. And I mean, Dick Cavett kind of had on uh, UFO witnesses from time to time. Uh, he had on... Um, Charles Hickson following the Pascagoula incident. And uh, I remember, I think it was J. Allen Hynek got destroyed by um, Carl Sagan on the Dick Cavett show. Oh, I think you're right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Coyne later contacted the Mansfield National Guard Tower and discovered that they had no recordings of any contact with him that night, not even a tape with the initial contact, but did determine that no other aircraft were in the area at that time. Coyne had also noticed that during the incident, his magnetic compass in the helicopter stopped working correctly and filed a report to have it fixed. But maintenance crews were unable to fix it and eventually had to replace the entire unit in in itself. So... Um, the flight crew was awarded the National Enquirer Blue Ribbon Panel's $5,000 award for the most scientifically valuable report of 1973. So in the 70s, the National Enquirer put together the Blue Ribbon Panel, which uh, included Dr. J. Allen Hynek, Dr. James Harder. I think uh, the one of the Lorenzans from APRO were involved and uh, a panel of a few other people in like, they were trying to find the most scientifically viable UFO cases and they would hand out awards to them. Um, Ronnie Johnson of the Delphos ring case ended up winning uh, one year, Travis Walton uh, and the logging crew ended up winning and uh, the coin folks here did as well. So um, glad to see they got some money out of that trauma. It's almost (laughs) like winning a lawsuit. (laughs) Uh, here, sorry, you could have almost died. Here's $5,000. Here's five grand. I think you can make from the National Enquirer. Yeah, sorry, it's weird to see National Enquirer and scientific in the same sentence. There was a time long ago when they were almost legit. Like, uh, they had uh, Bob Pratt working for them, and Bob Pratt did um, some pretty good uh, journalism, especially around uh, Brazilian cases and such. So, like, they did have legit people working for them, but, like, it's the National Enquirer. We know (laughs) how that shit went. Like, uh, I I'm much more of a weekly world news kind of person. I want to know about bat boy. I want to know what bat boy's doing. So, you know, um, yeah, totally fair. So, uh, one of the reasons why the Mansfield encounter remains so intriguing is because the sighting was corroborated by witnesses on the ground driving along Ohio 430 that night, a mother and her children saw the lights in the sky and pulled over to watch. Referring to the green light on the ground, the mother said, quote, I don't know if I could describe the color of the light. It was real, real bright, 
and absolutely beautiful. Again, we get that beautiful description. I appreciate that. Uh, it was wonderful to see, but yet it was also very frightening. I wanted the kids back in the car to get home as fast as possible. It scared me. No shit, ma'am. No shit. It would scare me <laughs> yeah. too. Imagine how those dudes felt in the helicopter. But how crazy mm-hmm. that... So this this family saw a helicopter get green-lighted Mm -hmm. (laughs) by a ufo UFO. that's wild yeah it is because you don't often see like corroborating reports and like you know mansfield it's large enough there's people out they're gonna they're bound to see it so yeah um that definitely makes this and and there is artwork of this particular moment uh that i think was printed uh i can't remember what magazine it appeared in but like there's this family pulled over on the side of the road and above them there's this <laughs> ufo that's got this like helicopter it's 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 pretty badass looking but uh yeah um and that night former tg photographer chic knight yeah yeah, chic I, night. This is <laughs> I'm loving this. <laughs> oh my gosh, C-H-I-C- this one's the best yet. Yeah, C H I C night. Yes, K N I G H T. Yeah, not yeah, not like no. I mean both would be no. great. Yes. But move over yeah. Reggie Bone. We have a new contender <laughs> for best name on this episode. <laughs> Yes, uh, Reggie Bones, step aside, please. He met two Ashland County Sheriff's deputies who described seeing a disc-like object uh, on Township Road 391 above a mile north of County Road 500 while responding to the Sullivan call. (laughs) The officers stopped and exited their cruiser when they noticed the craft hovering above the trees but said they heard no motor noise coming from it. Then, as they shined a spotlight in its direction, the craft dove toward the deputies before veering off toward Nankin. So, again, folks, you got to be really careful about what you do with your flashlights. Uh, Do not aim them at UFOs. We don't know what they're going to do. Well, I mean, in some cases, they'll abduct you. We know this. We have, (laughs) you know, we have accounts. We have accounts. So, you got to watch out for that. There were also stories from Ashland County residents who reported similar UFO sightings on County Road 1095 and around Ohio 603, where a saucer interrupted a family barbecue. Oh, man. There's. uh, Yeah, I know. It's just it's so (laughs) bad here. Uh, Like, come on, guys. Seriously, aliens. Fuck off. Quote, there's another guy on 603 and 1475 who was having a cookout with his family and saw a saucer hovering over the high tension wires out there. Ashland County Sheriff's Captain Terry Hamilton said he started walking towards it and his wife yelled at him to stop. So he stopped and kept looking at it. (laughs) He said he, he could see windows and see movement up in it, but he referred to it as a fly on the wall. He's sitting there looking at it just and it just took off. You couldn't see where it went. You just knew that it took off. Like <laughs> <laughs> this guy is just walking towards it. His wife's like, "The hell are you doing?" Yeah. Oh, oh, right. Oh, yeah. I guess I, I guess I probably shouldn't keep walking. Yes, you shouldn't this. keep. 
She guess I shouldn't keep like looking at that UFO. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> bad idea. Yeah, it's a bad idea. Thank you, so, wife, for having like a sense. Yeah. Thank you, wife, for having a sense of like self-preservation. Yes. Yes. Uh we don't need you we don't need your life ruined by this UFO. Get the hell back here right now. Uh kind of like a toddler, uh, a, a parent scolding a toddler. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Similar yeah, similar vibes. So Terry Hamilton will never forget what he saw on October 18th, 1973, and he suspects dozens of people in Richland and Ashland counties might have been witnesses as well. He was a 15 he was 15 years old and was riding home from Huron with his father when they saw what Hamilton describes as quote a big ball of light coming down from the sky travel about three quarters of a mile parallel to the road and then move upward quickly until it was out of sight. Hamilton, who now works for the Ashland County Sheriff's Office himself, said the office got a call that night from a woman in northern Ashland County who reported an object was hovering over the trees in her backyard. Two deputies and an Ashland Times-Gazette photographer went to the woman's property, saw the object, and ended up ducking and crawling away in fear, Hamilton Oh my added. god. Yeah. Yeah, we'll totally go out there, ma'am. It's fine. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. You didn't warn us. You didn't prepare us for this, ma'am. <laughs> you didn't tell us exactly what it was we were about to see. It's fine. Dear God. <laughs> uh yeah, just getting buzzed by UFOs. Not not down with it. So another prominent lady in town saw it out her back window. Uh, Hamilton said she said she saw a saucer floating toward her house and she got on her knees and started praying. She thought it was the end of the world. The woman reported the craft was low enough uh, uh, around power uh, and powerful enough that it's passing shook the shingles on her neighbor's barn. Damn, this is too close. A third woman reported seeing the object while on a picnic. She said she saw windows on top of the craft and something moving inside. Uh, so we got it kind of like a, a shades of a CE3 case, but uh, not exactly. Uh, oh, Ohio police and ufologists took reports from several hysterical mothers who believed the strange lights zigzagging over their house were out to take their children away. I get the fear. Yeah, but but, all right. It'll be okay. Yeah, like we're not even in like America's most wanted territory here. So let's take it easy. (laughs) uh, No, but you know, it's Ohio. So sorry, I won't do it anymore. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, You know, like that is what it is. That is what it is. You got to let that. Sometimes you got to let that Ohio hate out. But I checked um, the box. I don't have a choice. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Police from Columbus to Cincinnati fielded hundreds of calls as local newspapers put the story on the front page. Quote, Franklin County Sheriff's deputies were swarmed with UFO reports for the fourth straight night, read the Columbus Citizen Journal on October 18th. Deputies said they had between 30 to 40 reports of shiny Objects zigzagging through the sky Wednesday night. Columbus police had about 15 reports last night, mainly from the west side. 
One far west sider, 21-year-old Jesse Dunigan, an Air National Guard flight controller, told police he and his girlfriend were leaving a drive-in theater when they saw, quote, a pulsating bluish-white object make the sky look dim. Cool. That's pretty wow. metal as shit. That's that's pretty freaking bright. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the UFO was 500 feet above Hall Road when it, quote, suddenly zigzagged across a soybean field, hovered a few minutes before so, uh, above some trees and then dropped straight down. The Newswire United Press International reported that a, quote, hysterical and screaming woman from Great. Highland County told us. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I, I had the same reaction when I read it. I'm like, eh, great. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a hysterical and screaming woman from Highland County told authorities an oblong craft with blinking lights killed two cows as it landed on her farm. What? Yeah. Did it land on the cows? Yeah, I guess so. Oh, landed my God. Those poor cows. cows. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a We're problem going... right there. That you need to... <laughs> We're not going yeah. cow tipping. We're going cow squishing. Cow squishing. That's what's happening here. Uh, the city of Reading plunged into darkness as it experienced several power outages. The local utility quickly blamed shoddy equipment. In Trenton, some of the townsfolk swore a flying craft of some sort, not from around these parts, oh, landed on Main Street in the middle of town. Like that's bold UFO landing on Main Street. God damn. Jeez. Yeah. That's a bit much. <laughs> yeah, it's a little much. Like, all right, we yeah. get you're on vacation, but you know, maybe use yeah, a parking like, well, I don't know if I don't think Trenton has any parking structures, but maybe use a parking lot. Yeah. Something, you know, more inconspicuous. Definitely. Don't take uh, up like traffic. Don't cause traffic. No. No, don't cause traffic issues. Uh, Main Street in the middle of town uh, near Cincinnati, Sergeant Hugh Over chased a white and yellow craft saying later, quote, I never believed in UFOs until tonight. Besides make, the coin. Yeah. Can I make the joke about Sergeant Hugh Over? Over? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 oh my god these names these names are so good they, they are they are killer names uh besides the coin helicopter incident one of the last things to happen on the night of october 18th 1973 was an atmospheric explosion over mansfield that registered by that was registered by seismographs in st louis and a UFO sighting in Sullivan that made the front page of the Ashland Times Gazette on October 19th. Wow. So UFOs were heavy in the area on that night. Yeah. A lot of them. It makes me wonder, my in-laws live in like the Columbus metro, greater metro area. And it makes me wonder if they like remember anything or if they have any like insight or even old newspapers or something. I'm going to, I have, I have plans now. You've inspired me. I have, you plans. have plans now. You have plans now. Uh, 
The coin case still to this day is held in high regard, and it occurred during, you know, the peak of the year of the humanoid sightings. And the Piedmont Lights Lights case is very reminiscent of the Wisconsin flap that I uh, covered, um, you know, it's almost two months ago. So um, there's a lot of similarities with with other things that we've covered on this podcast. But um, that is a wrap for this particular episode. Uh, Kay, thank you for joining me again uh, today. And um, if people want to follow along with what you're doing, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. Um, co- almost quite literally anywhere. Um, you can find Haunted <laughs> Mitten on whatever. Look, I Mark, I've done it. Um, you can find Haunted <laughs> Mitten on whatever podcast service you use. Um hauntedmitten.com is our website you can find us on basically all social media under the same name uh we have a patreon we have um we have a store if you want if you need if you're out of t-shirts you need a t-shirt we can get you that um yeah anywhere just google us you'll find it you will find it and as for the our strange skies podcast you can find us on most podcasting apps and if you'd like to help us out, please leave a rating and review on the platforms that allow it that you consume your podcast from. And while you're at it, leave one for the Haunted Mitten while you're yes, at it. Please. So, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Tell your friends about us and all the amazing pods that you listen to. Uh, and if you want to support us monetarily, head on over to patreon.com slash your UFO guy, where for three dollars a month, you get early access to the main episodes like this one, as well as bonus episodes uh, exclusive to Patreon. In other words, don't let the apathy ray consume you. Show the pods that you love the love that they deserve. So uh, special thanks to Amber Keller for doing the research and the writing on this episode. Uh, Also special thanks to Floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme song for this podcast. Uh, special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for our loot, our logo and to the great Desdemona for our t- t-shirts designs. And uh, if you want to buy some merch, check the link in the description. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or over the skies of Mansfield, Ohio in gray. We trust.